and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And before we jump into the episode today, we just want to remind you, we will not have an episode next week. We're going to take a week off. That sounds fake, but we're going to do it. I'm going to be having surgery on my wrist on our normal recording day, but then we'll be back with something exciting and also probably a story. Almost definitely. Both of those things. It might not be my story. I'm going to be asleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll have a story. That's right. About recently sleeping Karen. Things are scary. At any rate, check back in two weeks. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about planning a handmade wardrobe. I don't know where everybody who's listening to this lives. In the upper corners, and I think entire sort of upper edge of the country right now, of the U.S. right now, it is surprise hot and very humid, and we would like to be thinking about fall and thinking about knitting in the fall when our yarn isn't sticking to our sweaty hands, so. Yeah, it's hot, y'all, like in an uncomfortable (laughs) way, because we're not acclimated to this. I know other parts of the world are like this kind of on the regular I lived in the desert. I know like extended hot periods, but this is yuck and I'm over it 100%. And I think part of the problem is it's not the heat, it's the humidity, but it genuinely is actually that is these are areas of the world and of the country where there is more humidity. Anyway, we want to be thinking about the fall. So today we are (laughs) talking about planning handmade wardrobes and like thinking ahead to some fall knitting specifically. This can be a good way to kind of get yourself through these periods where you're like, "Mm, it's a little bit hotter than I want it to be to have a hand knit on my lap. Browse Ravelry. Browse your pattern platform of choice. Flip through the pages of that pattern book that you picked up, you know, six years Mm -hmm. ago and never actually knit out of. You can think about your knitting without having to touch yarn (laughs) and still have your knitter experience for the week while you sip an icy cocktail or other beverage of choice. So I would say there's a difference as you are embarking on a specific project. There is a difference between, okay, I finished that. Now what am I going to knit next? And I've been planning a wardrobe and this is the next piece that I need to make this wardrobe be complete. What do you think? Yeah, I think there are lots of different ways to have a handmade wardrobe. And there's no one correct way to do it. And it looks different for all of us. But today we're focused on intentional knitting. So we're going to cover some different ways to think about curating handmade wardrobe for yourself. We're leaving sewing out of this conversation. We're specifically talking about a hand knit wardrobe. So it's not going to be like probably head to toe Although it could be because like you knit socks, you don't sew socks. But yeah, it could be lots of different things. And I would say too, Instagram has kind of ruined our ability, I think, as makers to be realistic about what a handmade wardrobe looks like. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because I am going to guess that almost everyone has some kind of full-time occupation, whether that's a job or being at home with children or whatever it is that you are doing all day, you probably are not spending your entire day creating garments to clothe yourself and possibly your family. And yet, if you spend enough time on Instagram, you start to think that's what handmade wardrobe is. And maybe it is for you. Maybe that is your thing. Maybe you are the fastest sewist and the fastest knitter and you can whip up a pair of pants and knit up a sweater so many times that you never have to buy a ready-made piece of clothing. But for most of us, that's not realistic. A lot of the people that you might be following on social media as like inspiration for your handmade wardrobe, it is also their full-time job to be this. Oh, for sure. Like it's not camera ready all the time. And we would just like to give you that reality check as we head into this conversation about planning a handmade wardrobe, because this is about doing something kind for yourself and kind of creating things that are joyful and functional for you. And not it's not a competition. And it's not something that you should put pressure on yourself to do in any sort of way. 
Jessica also sews Mm -hmm. and she has a pair of overalls that she sewed for herself. And I bet you will probably talk about your overalls. They took forever. She has one pair. I wear them a lot. Yeah. Everyone's wardrobe needs differ depending on what kind of life you live. So we all have pieces that will work for us that may not work for others. Like if you are an investment banker or a physician or something, you probably can't wear my grubby farmer's market overalls to your job. (laughs) But for me, those are work clothes and lounge clothes. Before he retired, my dad worked at a bank in like a executive capacity, not like as a teller, but like, Mm -hmm. and I am just picturing him rolling out the door in a pair of farmer's market overalls. With a patch on the butt. (laughs) (laughs) So that being said, for you, your handmade wardrobe is likely to be a handful of select pieces that feel like either staples or, I mean, it depends. It depends on how you conceive of this. For me, It's I have my handful of sweaters that I've knit, and it's a pretty big handful at this point. It's an armful. I have an armful of sweaters that I've Uh knit, and everything else is just kind of stuff I buy so that I don't get arrested for only wearing the things that I've made. (laughs) I do need some pants most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) It's good to cover many areas of your body to (laughs) dress for the weather, which is really the most important thing. So you could have that like kind of handful of pieces. You could also be a little bit more intentional and be a capsule collection maker. And your capsule collection could be based on a number of things. Like you might have a staple set of, I have six black pieces of hand knits that I kind of interchange with all of my wardrobes. You could have a summer collection. You could have a winter collection because you only wear your hand knits in the cold which feels fake, hand knits year-round, but, you know, (laughs) everyone has their own feelings about their hand knits. Jackie Sieslack's new book is for both knitting and sewing, Mm -hmm. and it's designed to help you create a capsule collection. I would say that the way you conceive of a capsule wardrobe, if you're talking about a handmade wardrobe, is a little bit different than if you're talking about ready-to-wear pieces. I think in that situation, you know, people are usually doing things like almost everything is a neutral, And then maybe there's like one accessory color, right? So everything is like black and gray, and then maybe it's blue, or maybe it's red, or maybe it's green, or whatever it is. Is there like pop of color? Right. And I think that on some level is born out of decision fatigue. Oh, sure. Decision fatigue at the getting dressed in the morning stage, and decision fatigue at the department store stage or the online shopping, even more so probably the online shopping stage. Because if you picture yourself as somebody who has decision fatigue and you're walking through a JCPenney, oh, JCPenney, (laughs) (laughs) in the time before our local JCPenney was closed and turned into a COVID vaccination apocalyptic situation, but you're walking through the actual version where there's clothing, if you're saying, okay, my wardrobe is black and gray and royal blue, then everything that isn't those colors disappears for you. And you only have to decide between things that are black and gray and royal blue. And for some people that feels stifling. And for some people that's like, oh, thank goodness. That's like making my chest feel tight thinking about that. (laughs) It's like the thing that, you know, I think famously Steve Jobs, right, would always wear the same thing. Like, it was just one too many decisions. Same outfit every morning. There was and a- somehow he landed on turtlenecks. <laughs> Why, man? He also apparently had a house with no furniture in it because mm. he couldn't Mm-mm. decide. No. <laughs> but I think that's a little bit different when you're talking about, for example, knitting sweaters. Mm-hmm. Because... You're not standing there choosing between 55 sweater options, or like you are because you're browsing Ravelry or you're choosing a pattern, but it's not really the same. You can't actually physically have zero sweaters and then 55 sweaters within the same two-hour period. You know what I mean? You're not in Old Navy like with a cart full. You have to make it every stitch with your hands. It's a different level of intentionality. Yes. Where the world is your oyster. (laughs) Another way to think about creating your handmade wardrobe is the replacement method. 
where you would like more handmade pieces in your closet. You don't have a long vision plan for what that looks like, but as you're ready to wear pieces, start to remove themselves, (laughs) we'll say. Whether it's pieces become really worn, like that sweater you got at Kohl's six years ago is kind of falling apart. And it was a great sweater, but also you're not invested in repairing it and letting it continue to live in your closet. Perhaps you want to recreate a better version of it. So like maybe it was your big oversized snuggle on the couch with the dog sweater and it's now too infused with dog and it must go. (laughs) It's time. Fake and impossible, by the way. Oh, very real. Oh, God. (laughs) It's it's time to up-level that sweater. Like, what is your ideal version of that sweater? Because now you can pick a pattern. Maybe you love that sweater, but the neckline could have been better for you. Or maybe you would have liked longer sleeves. You can do that when you're hand-making it. And you also get to pick the yarn that's just going to be great for snuggling on the couch with the dog, which is maybe possibly a machine washable option. I don't know. But you get to like make those considerations to kind of replace things as they make their way out of your wardrobe and kind of bring them up to the next level of like what your ideal piece, your ideal version of that would be. Right. And I would say in that situation, you are probably less looking at the aesthetic in terms of replacement, and you're more thinking about the function. Mm -hmm. in the replacement. And then you're finding an aesthetic that's going to make you happy. But if, for example, it is your big oversized snuggle on the couch sweater, you're going to start looking for big boxy sweaters and then find one of those that you like. And then, you know, maybe your Kohl's snuggle on the couch sweater was blue, but then you, whatever color, like you've moved on. You've moved on. You've moved on. (laughs) It's time for a different color. That was... 2006 capsule wardrobe, and we're not talking about that anymore. That's right. (laughs) It was a dark time. (laughs) New Horizons. Yeah, and like we were mentioning before, the 100% all handmade wardrobe that we see on social media, like your lovely handmade underwear and, you know, every top that you wear, and perhaps you're making your shoes. Like that level of handmade wardrobe is completely aspirational. Let us all check ourselves. If you were a person who has done that, that's amazing. Kudos Mm -hmm. to you. But for the average maker, you probably don't have that amount of disposable time. Also, you probably don't have that amount of disposable income either, because as we all know, like your fabric and your yarn does not come free. So making your clothes can be a really big investment and it's worth it to you for a number of reasons. You're supporting the industry, like the farmers, you are creating a piece that you really love, like there are tons of benefits, but also there's not like an endless maker budget for the majority of people. So it's good to like keep these things in mind and like feel okay about them and understand realistically what works well for you. And you shouldn't be feeling pressure to compete. This is not the maker Olympics or something, right? Right. Yeah. And there are all kinds of neat things like I see this, I feel like every year in January, the box of socks thing. And the idea is you knit a pair of socks every month through the year. And then at the end, you have 12 pairs of socks. Awesome. There was actually, and I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody that we follow on the store's Instagram account who just mentioned that she'd gotten halfway through and she bought herself a little cedar box to keep her box of socks in Mm -hmm. as like her reward for being halfway through. That's neat. I spent the entire month of January knitting socks, and I will say I think only like two of those pairs are still functional. (laughs) I (laughs) what? I it's June. I have snagged, I have shrunk, I have had struggle, and I think like and really I just need to do some darning. Like I need to do some darning on on my socks. Listen, even when you make the thing, sometimes stuff happens, you know, is really what I'm saying. Like maybe you made yourself every sweater you thought you could ever want and then you spilled coffee or bleach or, Ah! right? (laughs) Who knows what happened? Somebody in your house helpfully put it in the dryer. Like who knows? Oof. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, nothing is permanent. There's always room for a new make. So, okay. If you are planning a handmade 
wardrobe. Let's talk specifically about a hand-knit wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Let's be real here. Because maybe you're sewing your own underwear, but we can't help you. No. <laughs> you sew some for me. Right. <laughs> your first step is probably going to be the low-hanging fruit. The uh-huh. projects that you know are going to get a lot of wear. Things that if you do want to wear it twice in a week, three times in a week, whatever your sort of personal... Heavy rotation metric? Yes. That's where you want to start, probably. Yes. Well, these things are tough to talk about because everyone's approach is so different. So I think about what are the things that I want to wear a lot because I historically have not been a really intentional knitter. Like I've been knitting for a thousand years at this point and (laughs) it's very much been my track record to, okay, I've knit this thing. I'm almost done. I'm starting a new project. Cast on, cast on, cast on. And I barrel through and finish most of them. Some things are tucked away in bags, never to be spoken of again. (laughs) But I can't say that historically I've employed lots of like long vision planning to what I'm knitting. So sometimes when I open up my sweater drawer in the morning, it is like bursting with sweaters. And I'm like, why do I have half of you? Right. Like, you're fine, I guess. But I don't wear you. I have that sad conversation more mornings than I would like to admit. And see, by the time we get to that point, I've already donated it. I am the worst. I'm like, I haven't used it in a month. It's got to go. It's She's infuriating. <laughs> it's <laughs> and then, terrible. And then two months after that, I'm like, where did that sweater go? Like, Karen, you gave it away. <laughs> I think that for me, part of like my process for the coming months and the current hot weather is thinking about things that I would like to be wearing this fall instead of just impulsively casting on new things. But for some people, planning their hand-knit wardrobe is more about, like, I need a special, unique thing that, like, I can't get in the store. So I'm planning out those, I don't wear it every day, but I'm going to wear it and love it intensely kind of projects. Versus my really mediocre approach of just like, oh, I could knit that and then never wearing it. (laughs) But I think that trying to look at like what you need in your wardrobe is a a good place to start if you're at the how do I even begin thinking about this point. From there, you kind of get into the fun stuff. So you can start thinking about your hand-knit wardrobe in terms of I'm going to do this thing. Do I have a palette? Oh, Do I have a color family that I would like to knit lots of? And you know who does this, I think, exceptionally well? Hello, Gabriella. She is a knitwear designer. I think she does some like natural dyeing. And her palette is exceptionally consistent. She does lots of like soft, peachy, blushy tones in all of her hand knits. And everything's really beautiful and it looks super fantastic on her. And her Instagram is really well curated. And I don't know if she has grubby t-shirts that she ever wears, but it definitely doesn't make it onto Instagram if she does. But her sense of color is really exceptional. And like, I know she teaches classes on like photographing flat lays and things like that. Her sense of aesthetic is really strong. And you might really have strong urges to have that in your life. And if you're planning your knitwear for the next season or for whenever period of time, that might be a good place to kind of dabble in that. Nice. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this, I think, in a couple of the color episodes that we've done, but often, you know, people have colors that they gravitate toward. Yep. Go for it in that case, right? If you are somebody who every time you pick up yarn, you pick up purple yarn, well... Now you have a palette. You have a color palette. And don't feel like you need to disregard the purples because you knit with purple a lot. Right. Like, that's okay. If that's what you want to wear, wear your stuff. This happens a lot in the store. Mm -hmm. People come in and they're deciding they've picked three or four colors for potential projects. They're like deciding between these things. And one of them will often be the thing that they are wearing. That happens like nine times out of 10 when people are picking colors. And they will often approach Jessica for help with deciding. And what she usually says to them is, well, that's what you're wearing right now. So I know you like that. And almost always that's what they leave with because they do. They do like that. Mm -hmm. I think that people feel some sort of external pressure. I don't know where it's coming from, but to like 
break out of whatever it is that they like. Right. And it's okay if you like things. It's fine. Like, right. like what you like. There's nothing wrong with that. As knitters, we can kind of move beyond that thing where you say, I already have a green sweater. How many green sweaters do I need? You need as many green sweaters as your heart and closet will hold. Because you know more about that sweater than that it's green. Mm -hmm. So if your heart and closet can hold 25 different purple sweaters that you've made with your hands using different techniques and different styles and you love them all in different ways. That's beautiful. Amazing. Buy the purple yarn. Don't make yourself buy red yarn if what you want is a purple sweater. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Just own the purple. It's right. yours. So you don't want to end up in that situation where you're like, I've opened my sweater drawer and I have a bunch of sweaters. Why do I have half of them and none of them are really what I want to wear? Don't be Jessica. How do you not be Jessica in this situation? It's by being intentional about your patterns, right? It's about looking at your plan and making sure that they are covering all of the color range or not, silhouette range or not, fiber content, weight, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's nice to have a mix. It's nice to identify your needs and then make a plan to fill those needs. For example, knitting for a season. Oh, like right now. <laughs> it is. It's a season. It's well, yes, correct. It is a season. It is often a season, like every single day. It's one of the seasons. <laughs> But right now, today, when we step outside of this climate-controlled building that we happen to be in, we will go from being generally comfortable, dry people to suddenly very wet, sticky, uncomfortable people. So today is not a day for your lopey sweater in New oh, Hampshire, God. perhaps. It's important to think about like when you want to be wearing things and knit with that in mind. So like right now, I have two trains of thought for my knitting plans. We are on the cusp of our summer knit along, which feels good because it's summer and I am ready to cast on some more Jessie Mae pattern goodness. But also, I rarely have one project going at a time. <laughs> so I need to be thinking ahead to what sweater do I want to put on my human body as soon as the weather turns and the leaves start to get dry and crispy and I'm ready for fall. I have this challenge a lot because I find myself casting on projects that I want to wear right now. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I finish them, it's no longer possible to wear them right now. Like my Barnhart, I lost the race with, uh -huh. and you know what? It's going to be glorious in the fall, but I'm not wearing it today. And for reasons kind of unrelated to my regular knitting speed, I'm not going to be finishing my current project probably in time to wear it very much. I think it'll be cooler by the time I finish my dingly dell. And I'm going to be sad about having short sleeves. The good news about seasons is they do loop back around. Mm -hmm. Just hope that you like the colors when the seasons loop around and it's not like blue from 2016. The other reason I think that this can be challenging is the speed with which patterns are released. Yes. I've seen designers, and I think I've mentioned this before, designers are having this conversation online about this expectation of like constant new things. So I think they feel the pressure to constantly be releasing new patterns. And on some level, like good for them in their business and good for us as knitters. But also, this is slow fashion. And I can't knit as fast as some of these designers I really love release patterns. Yes. And... Just because there are new things coming out doesn't mean that their deeper catalog isn't still excellent. Right. So I would say as you're planning things, resist the urge to feel tied to what the most recent releases are. Because just because there's something new coming out and you're seeing like the test knitters photos and it's really great, it's exciting, this pattern looks fantastic on all of these different body types, like that's amazing. But don't be lured by the siren song of the constant exposure on your Instagram feed because that pattern might not be what you need to fill a particular spot. I think as an industry, it would be good if we could all kind of step back and remember that we're all just individual human people and like we need to be engaging in our industry as individual human people and not as content machines. Yeah. 
just one stitch at a time over <laughs> and over and over and over. That's right. It's a stitch for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like looking ahead to the next season or two seasons out. Yeah, don't pressure yourself to like try and knit fast because sometimes you lose the race. Right. Life gets in the way. You can choose a season anywhere on the timeline and focus on that. So when it rolls around, you're ready. Yes. What about knit frosting? I love knit frosting. <laughs> so you might be saying, what is knit frosting? And if you search knit frosting on Instagram, you will find exactly one post. But sew frosting is a term that's used in the sewing community for making yourself something really fancy. And I think knitters should do that too. Every once in a while, not all the time, but like make yourself that piece that's kind of out there and exceptional or maybe really complicated or for a special occasion. I think that's a neat thing to do. Like I've seen people who have knit wedding dresses. That would be knit frosting. Really elaborate shawls or color work. Let's call it knit frosting. Things that are fancy that you're not going to throw on to go to the grocery store or to go pick up dog food. It's your special thing. Yeah. And you know what? We've been talking a lot about sweaters because we are a sweater knitting people here in this room. All of this is also true for things like shawls. If you are somebody that you live somewhere a little bit warmer, or just generally you're not a sweater wearer, and you can get away with some wild fun stuff with shawls. If you're looking at like, I want to do a capsule wardrobe, right? And everything I own is going to be black but my accessories are going to be the color. Well, then you just knit yourself a bunch of really fun colored shawls. You can do beadwork. You can do complicated lace. You can combine different texture techniques. Like there are lots of ways to find really amazing patterns or alter patterns that you love and kind of gussy them up with your own special particular touch. That's an exciting way to approach making this hand-knit wardrobe even more unique to you because you've put like your own personal little twist on something. So as you're planning this, what are the tools that you have available other than just your imagination? How can you like collect and envision what this will look like and be for you? Time to get organized. I should get one of those signs that says one of these days I'm going to get organized. You mean organized? Organized. We're going to make a plan. So I think the most obvious way is, with the caveat that it's not accessible to everyone anymore, is Ravelry, because it's a huge library of patterns and everyone who has an account has a queue where you can file away those patterns and make notes and you can click through to see other projects. And it's just a huge vault of information that is helpful in planning. But if you are not a Ravelry user or you want something that is more mobile friendly or whatever, there are other apps that you can use to kind of organize your patterns. And this is particularly helpful if you have patterns that you have gotten directly from a designer's website or like a book that you have an e-version of or something. Like if you have a collection of PDFs that don't live in a Ravelry account, using something like Trello is a good way to organize them. It's a project organizing app that is not designed specifically for crafters. I think it's like project team management stuff, but lots of knitters and sewists use it to create boards. Like here's my collection of sock patterns and here's my collection of hat patterns and you can upload the PDFs and access it from whatever device you're on and kind of flip through the tabs and use it in different ways to plan. Yeah, and can I just say that Trello has never really worked for me personally, like my brain just doesn't work like that. The thing that does work for me that's kind of like a more text-based version of the same thing is something called Workflowy. Oh, which is either free or if you want the paid version, I don't know what the difference is in terms of like functionality, but it's like $5. And all it is is an outline with tags. And so you could start like a section of your outline that's patterns and then a section that is shawls and a section that's socks and a section that's sweaters and whatever. And then just keep kind of a running list and link to things. Very user-friendly, very portable. And if you are more of a list maker versus a visual person, might work great in combination with just like a folder full of all your PDFs. 
Nice. See, this is one of those times where it's nice that our brains work very differently. <laughs> that sounds interesting, but like I love my Trello and totally use it for like keeping track of my sewing patterns in particular. We joke a lot about it's not a joke. It's an accurate. Oh, <laughs> yes. Where when we when we're doing a project, we're like, okay, we're opposite braining this project, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, we're saying the same words to each other and meaning completely different things. <laughs> What about just like regular old paper? Oh, I love paper. Paper (laughs) in my heart, notebooks everywhere. And for me, paper is fake. I write things down on paper, and if I don't do something with it by the end of the day, that paper may as well have been set on fire because you don't ever come back to the paper. You do, though. You don't ever come back to the digital screen where you wrote the thing. (laughs) It lives in my computer, and I'll never find it again. (laughs) Doesn't exist. So if you're a paper person, I'm a big fan of the Maker's Journal from Merchant and Mills. It's really beautiful, unlined, no grid marks, just like blank sheets of paper. And the notebook is accordion folded. So when you open up the cover, there's not like a solid back binding, like the whole thing opens up like an accordion and you have front and back layers. It's a two layer fold. So you can really get in there with your colored pencils or your pens or whatever you like to use and make notes and sketch things out and play with color and experiment and create your vision for what's coming up next in your queue. And kind of just like with knitting, I shouldn't even say just like with knitting because this is part of it, but just like the physical creation of the knitted object, the tools that you're using, A, need to work for you. Mm Mm-hmm. And B, need to be pleasant to use in a way that is going to make you want to use them. Yes. Like Jessica was just saying, right, this nice accordion fold paper and like get yourself a pen that you like, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It could be a ballpoint pen that you stole from the bank. But if that's the pen you like to use, great. I mean, stolen pens are the best pens. They kind of are. (laughs) Just make sure whatever system it is, but also don't fall into that like productivity trap procrastinating from doing the thing because you're trying to find the perfect system to do the thing like dive in it's all experimental i do like specifically the ravelry queue and then the functionality for trello to be able to visualize if you want to be able to see what this sweater looks like and what this sweater and what this shawl and this these socks all are going to look like next to each other it's handy you can do that versus having to like picture it in your brain with a piece of paper or a typed out list. Another website that's really useful, and we've mentioned it before in the episode on finding your fit, is mybodymodel.com. And you can take a series of, oh, yikes, I think it's like 30 measurements. It's a lot of measurements and put it into their system and they will create a fashion croquis for you, which is like a paper doll that is you. So you can sketch out these sweaters or shawls or whatever it is on your paper doll version of you, which is kind of a fun way to help you visualize how you'll wear things, how to style pieces. So croaky isn't a knitter term, and I feel like I don't understand A, what it is, and B, how to spell it. So help me. It's C-R-O-Q-U-I. Oh. And it's a paper doll, basically. It's an outline. It's like a contour line drawing of your body to scale, like scaled down to a little person. So, <laughs> right, not like, full size. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a, crime a, you're not dealing with a giant PDF. <laughs> yeah. Although you could, you could get a giant oh. PDF of yourself engineering printed. Yeah, you 100% could. And that actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah. They're good websites for getting patterns printed at giant scale too. So, that's a thing you could do. But like, you know, it's on your little iPad or phone screen or wherever, and they give you lots of different versions of it. So like you can get a version with your arms down by your side or one with your hand on your hip. So you have different options for how your body is positioned, but like it knows the proportion between your full bust and your waist and your hip measurement and the length of your legs. Nice. So if you are looking at a project, a pattern... And looking at the pattern schematics, it will help you visualize how that will fit as it's written in proportion to your body. The other thing that they have is a printable digital fashion sketchbook. And that includes your little body models, but like it helps you plan out projects. Cool. It's an organizing tool and that's handy. 
I also hesitate to even suggest this Uh because of my struggle, but you could use Pinterest to make a board. You could do it. Uh Uh-huh. I'm feeling a lot of fear right Right. now. So we have a project that we were working on and we had to put together a vision board, but it was the first time either of us had really used Pinterest and it felt confusing. I felt confused. I felt broken. Like I don't... Right. I'm bad at Pinterest, y'all. It is a problem. This is definitely 100% like me not knowing how to use the tool and then kind of being mad at the tool. But prior to this, the only time I'd ever interacted with Pinterest would be when I would search for something and then you would get a link to Pinterest. But then when you clicked on it, it didn't actually take you to the thing you thought you were clicking on. You were just stuck in Pinterest land. It's, yeah, it's baffling to me. You could. You could pin all of your projects and see them on a board all together. And that is a thing that you could do. I just don't know how to use Pinterest. Yeah, I feel like I missed the period of time when people flocked to Pinterest. And because I wasn't part of that, like, yay, Pinterest, this cool new thing for people, I've missed it. It's like when my children tell me about a thing and I'm like, the what? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't know what that is. Like, I missed the Snapchat era. I mean, I don't know if I actually missed it, but like, I did not participate in it. And I don't understand what it is or how it works. Like, Right. There are lots of things in technology world that like I'm just not a part of. Right. Oh, yeah. But that that is another thing that you could do that is a free tool that is accessible and that is visual. So at this point, let us come round to ye olde Instagram, which is not new technology, but is very <laughs> much the platform where like makers have kind of settled in because it's so visual. You know, you're just scrolling and seeing all of these different people that you follow and like get to keep up to date with their stories and their makes. And it's accessible. You can follow particular hashtags, but it's a great place to kind of pick and choose who in the community makes you feel inspired about certain things like these particular designs, this person's sense of color. You can find what gets you excited and like follow those hashtags or follow those accounts and kind of like curate your feed to deliver to you the kind of content that will work for what you need it to do. And I think a good place, if we're thinking in terms of planning, is to take a look at the make nine hashtags, number nine, but all spelled out. It's either hashtag make nine or hashtag make nine followed by a year. And people at the beginning of the year will choose nine projects they want to make over the course of the year and lay it out in like a little single grid. And it's a neat way to look at the way people put together collections. And some of them you're like, oh, I would have never put those pieces together. Or, oh, I didn't know that design existed. It opens up a whole world of options. And some people just do them for their knits. Some people just do it for sewing projects. Some people combine them. So it's a deep pool of amazing inspiration. That's the kind of thing, too. I think there is a difference between a resource like Instagram when you're looking for inspiration and a resource like a magazine. And I don't mean like an industry. Well, I do a little bit mean like an industry magazine. Like, But let's just say the difference between an Instagram account and Vogue. Mm-hmm. Not Vogue knitting, just Vogue. Sure. If you're looking at a picture in Vogue, everything in it has been styled to like sell this idea of a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is also true on Instagram. But to a different extent, what you're seeing is this object and how it like fits into a lifestyle. Like real world application versus photo shoot in a studio. Odds are low that this person who handed their sweater has constructed a fake house behind them to take the picture, (laughs) right? (laughs) Not zero, but not high. Right. And so maybe you're looking at this picture and you're like, "Mm, I like the way that sweater looks, but what is that other sweater on the chair behind her? You know, that kind of thing. Like it can really help like connect dots between the Venn diagram of things this person likes and things that you like to help you like narrow in, Mm -hmm. focus in. I also think the benefit of Instagram, too, is that people who are showing you their handmade things are often using hashtags and links to other accounts. 
so you can access the information you need to figure this stuff out. Whereas, you know, you might see something, for example, in Vogue, where it's the accessory and it's not listed because it's not the focus of that shoot. And like, how do you ever figure out what that thing is or where it came from or like shoes or something? Right. Like it's harder to put those pieces together and track things down. And really, that's also mostly a ready to wear issue. But just identifying the source of things is so much harder. So I think that's a good way to look at that, too. So who do we know that we think does this particularly well in a way that if you like vibe with them, you are going to be able to use their social media as a resource? Sure. Like in particular, there are people who are showing you like their knit outfit of the day, but they're like styling the same piece over and over again. So you can see this sweater with a dress or with trousers or butt shorts or whatever else they're wearing. So you can think about that sweater outside of the pattern photos. Yes. That's great that you were on a mountaintop and the wind was blowing and this sweater was billowing behind you. Like, that's beautiful. But also, how does it look when I'm wearing jeans because I have to go to the library or something? (laughs) So Annie Lupton at Boho Chic Fiber Co. does this a lot. She will take a piece that she's designed and she will show you either in like a carousel or like side by side images in a tile, her wearing that thing in different ways. And it really helps you visualize how you might want to wear it and how it might become a part of your wardrobe. There's also Maxim Sear, who is Max the Knitter on Instagram. Max's style is kind of impeccable. Like he is just a well put together person. But also, like, it feels accessible and, like, you can see yourself wearing those things in the ways that he wears them. Yes. Like, his sweaters just have, like, a very cozy vibe, even though they're not plain, unadorned projects. They have lots of color work and things, but it just feels very, like, I could wear that anywhere. Andrea Mowry, whose husband is a photographer, so her, like, photo shoots for her patterns tend to be pretty editorial. You know, they're, like, very professional photos if you go to her social media you see her wearing her stuff in like all kinds of situations she posted a picture not too long ago that was her in her weekender and then a pair of pajama pants like how you would actually wear your weekender because let's be serious you're wearing it with your pajama pants it is cozy and maybe also to work but you're not not wearing it on the couch right (laughs) yeah she just has a lot of great shots of like her projects feeling lived in. Yes. Which is the thing, right? Like it is wonderful and fine. And designers should do this. They should take good photos. But also, if you're going to spend a million hours making this with your own human hands, you kind of also want to know what it's going to look like in realistic situations. Yeah. So let's talk about Denise Bayron for a minute. Oh, yeah. Who is Bayron Handmade on Instagram. She's also like an impeccable style person. And I think a great example, I'm going to say of like a capsule lifestyle. Oh, sure. Absolutely. She lives in a tiny house, which means her space is limited. There is no room for a bin full of like 5K race t-shirts that she's been collecting for 25 years because there's not space in the house to keep that kind of stuff. So the pieces that she has and that she makes They work well together. They're interchangeable and like she posts like beautiful pictures in her tiny home, but also she's like, I'm wearing this thing and I'm out at the farmer's market or wherever she is. She's a good example of taking that kind of carefully curated aesthetic, but like showing you that like she just lives her life and it's not just for the Instagram feed, I think. Right. When she, yeesh, that was maybe two years ago almost when the hat Dana came out. Mm Mm-hmm. She released that pattern within, with, I don't want to say instructions, because you can wear anything any way you want, but three different sets of suggestions. Yeah, it was like a styling. Yeah, it was like you could wear it this way or this way or this way. If you have this type of hair, this is an option. If, if you don't, this is an option. And I thought that was really fantastic. Isabel Kramer, mm-hmm. who... I would say her pattern photos, like her actual published pattern photos, give you almost zero information about how to wear this thing when she puts those out. 
They do give you a lot of information about the one pair of jeans that she always has, right? Her jeans are killer. Her jeans are great. You see the pictures and you're like, oh, that's an Isabel Kramer pattern because I know those jeans. Right. She got, she got new pants and I was like, fake. No, old pants. She, on her social media, shows her patterns in like different settings and doing different things. So sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging beyond the just like pattern picture that's posted. Yeah, her carousel sliders of her in different outfits wearing the same knit item is always kind of jarring to me because in my mind, she only exists in that pair of jeans. Right. She's like, here I am in a dress with this sweater. Here I am in a pair of pants with a drop crotch down to my knees. And I'm like, where did you get those? Right. Harem pants with buckles on them. Amazing. But also, good look with that sweater. I wouldn't have thought of that combination. I recently learned that she has a face. (laughs) (laughs) Because her face is also never in her pattern photos. It is on her social media. Mm -hmm. She does have one. (laughs) Yeah. It's lovely to see her. It's nice to see everyone. It really is. Can we talk about Romy Hill? Yes, please. Let's do. So Romy Hill designs really wonderful patterns. So Romy Rosemary Hill designs lots of shawls, beautiful shawls, lacy, textured, great color play, and has recently been kind of thrust into this interesting conversation about what people want to see. I think what some people want to see and what some people find unacceptable Mm -hmm. when modeling knitwear. And she has sons. Her sons volunteer to model her shawls for her. And the photography is beautiful. It's a great guide for like styling. How do you put a shawl on your body? And also is a great illustration of how people with bodies can wear things regardless of their gender identity. Your knitwear doesn't care how you identify yourself. If you can physically put it on your body and it makes you feel happy and feel good to wear it, good. Put it on your body. I would say probably more true of shawls than even other types of knitwear. Like shawls care the least. Nothing else cares a lot, but shawls extra don't care. What Romy noticed was that when she posted pictures of her sons wearing these shawls, she would get unfollows. Right. And so she started tracking. I'm going to post this picture. I'm going to lose 25 followers. I'm going to post a picture of me in the shawl. I'm going to gain followers. And she just called this out. And she was like, hey, fiber community, notice what you're doing. It feels gross. What is wrong with you? And some of the comments that she got were a problem. Mm -hmm. She got really intense gendered stuff back. She got some racist stuff back. She got some, mm, just don't like it. You know what I really love about her is that she still does it all the time. She's like, cool. So people who don't want to see pictures of my sons wearing a shawl when my sons want to wear a shawl can look at somebody else because I'm going to keep posting them, which I think is really great. Mm-hmm. This community is largely great, and there's still so much work to be done on so many different levels. But I would say, if you see one of those pictures, give it a heart, give it a good comment. So, hopefully some of those resources are helpful to you if you are taking a break from sticky hot wool and you're just thinking ahead and planning for the next couple days as you wait for things to cool down. We want to know, how do you organize your knits? Tell us, are you using apps or drawing things out on paper? Do you have patterns that you think are staples in capsule collections? Write to us and tell us about it. We want to know what you're making. Okay, Jessica, what's on your needles? The last half an inch of the final leg of the ripple butt shorts. So they'll be done by the time you actually hear this. Maybe if you are at our Instagram live or were at our Instagram live on Friday, the 2nd of July, they maybe even made an appearance. The world may never know. (laughs) Yeah, but from there, I'm just like agonizing over what to cast on on Friday. How about you? Okay, yeah. I'm just going to sit this segment out for the next couple of weeks because... Literally, the day this airs is the day that I am not going to be able to do anything with my right hand Mm -hmm. for many weeks. Yeah, y'all are just stuck with me for a couple of weeks. (laughs) 
Yeah, a dingly dell will sit on my needles until I understand what a dingly dell is. You know what? Good opportunity for you to think forward to fall knits. Yes, which is actually something I really need to do. Gotta feel hopeful. Yeah. My queue is going to be like 85 patterns long by the time I'm allowed to knit again. And in fairness, the surgeon didn't say that I wasn't allowed to knit. She just said it wouldn't be physically possible. (laughs) Okay. Which seems to me like... Does that feel like a challenge? It feels like a challenge. No. (laughs) I'm going to hide your needles. (laughs) I know where to get more. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Are you ready for a letter? I am. with us this week. So the letter this week comes from Kirsty. Over the past year, I've expanded my stash of hand-dyed yarn. Right now, my skeins are on display in a cube shelf. Should I be worried about moths? Should I be worried about temperature or humidity? I'd love recommendations on what I should be doing to make sure these gorgeous skeins are not damaged over time. Yay, more hand-dyed yarn. And also, good question. So, let's start with moths. Moths are scary. May we all be terrified forever. So I think that everyone should be aware of moths if they have wool and they live in a climate where moths exist. The degree to which you should be concerned is maybe informed by your history of having a moth problem in your home or not. If you have had a moth incident in your house before, like you have pulled a winter coat that was wool out of the closet and noticed moth damage to it, or have had actual problems with like seeing moths in your house, you should maybe be on higher alert than if it's never happened before where you are. Like maybe your house is very sealed up and they just don't get in. I don't know. But there are things you can do to help avoid moths interacting with your knits as a preventative. So the first thing that might come to mind is mothballs. Please do not do this. (laughs) Mothballs are kind of toxic and really smelly. And if you put your hand knits or your yarn in a container with mothballs, it is going to smell like mothballs. You're going to have to stop wearing your hand knits, not because there are holes in them, but because you stink. Yeah, it is highly unpleasant, and I'm going to make wild sweeping assumptions about everyone's nose and say that nobody likes that smell. (laughs) It's just not good. Mothballs are not your best bet. But there are options that are more pleasant and are deterrents, like cedar. Cedar is a great moth deterrent. Karen mentioned earlier that someone got themselves a nice cedar box for their hand-knit socks. If you're a Schitt's Creek fan, you maybe know (laughs) that David once built a cedar chest for his cashmere. Okay, look, um, I would hardly call myself an expert on this subject. Because he wanted to keep the moths away. So like cedar, cedar is a real thing and you don't have to hand build a cedar chest, although it's apparently quite easy. Yeah, you just put the masking tape on the floor to measure. You can get like little cedar sachets or little cedar blocks. I think Katrinkles makes little cedar shapes that you can get to keep in your yarn stash or in your knit drawer to help repel moths. The one thing about those is they do at some point stop working because it's the smell that does the work. And so specifically, I'm thinking of the little sachets, which I have some of hanging in the closet at home, like Mm -hmm. doing absolutely nothing because they're like 12 years old. I should really replace them. Yeah. Like if you can't smell the cedar anymore, they're probably not as effective as they were when you first got them. So those things kind of like cycle through, like replenish them every once in a while. Also, lavender is supposed to help repel moths as well. So similar thing, like keeping those things kind of near your yarn or in the containers where you keep your yarn is a good idea. There are some people who say that your yarn, your stash, should be kept sealed in like airtight containers at all times. And that is dedication. (laughs) And, And it's a choice. It's possibly best practice, you know, to keep it in kind of a climate controlled environment. 
particularly if it's not going to be used very soon. Like if it's going to be in stash for a long time, that's good. Keep your stuff safe. But I will also admit to having skeins of yarn that are just kind of hanging out there on a shelf or in a bag or sitting around exposed to the wilds of the world. And I'm not like constantly heartbroken because they're ruined by things all the time. Like yarn is pretty durable. And if you aren't having a moth infestation, it's probably going to be fine. Yeah, I would say as long as you're not in a situation where don't keep your yarn in your bathroom. Yeah, that's don't keep your yarn in the sauna. But if it's not kind of that levels of humidity, you're probably not going to have a humidity problem. Like don't store it in your garage in the summer. (laughs) If you do put it in plastic and you ever notice like condensation inside of it or something, definitely get it out of the plastic. Really, I think if you need to protect your yarn, like your best case scenario is kind of like a Rubbermaid bin with a lid on Mm -hmm. it because it's protected. A moth is not going to strong arm the lid off of the top (laughs) and get in there. Like if you know you're putting things in at an okay stage, it's probably fine. If a moth opens your Rubbermaid bin, you let the moth have the house. You got to go. The one thing I would say to avoid, like don't get overzealous about sealing up your yarn. I know some people have like vacuum sealed yarn into those bags and that's not great because that can put a lot of stress on the fiber too. Like if you're sucking all of the air out of that and it's like compressing it, that's not good for long-term storage. Let the fiber breathe. That being said, if you're moving or something... Yeah, you could do it for a month. It's not going to hurt anything. Yeah, but like don't put your stash away for like six years and then go womp womp when you take it out (laughs) and it's kind of in bad shape because it's been crushed for so long. And Kirstie, you mentioned specifically temperature. Temperature is not going to hurt it. Sheep live outside. That yarn was cooked. It's fine. Yeah, hand dyed yarn has definitely been in a steaming hot pan (laughs) of water and dye. It should be fine. And you never have to worry about your wool getting too cold. Right. Not an option. (laughs) Too cold doesn't exist. We announced something this morning for the store. We don't, we try not to like cross-pollinate, cross-pollinate too much, but we think this is neat and you might be interested. Yeah. So today we have spilled the beans about our big secret project. If you're listening to this right when it posts, I think our episodes go up at like 6 a.m. and this post is going up in a couple hours. So if you are like an early bird, you'll actually be among the first to know. Oh, that's right. So we are releasing this Friday a solstice calendar. Yay! It's a collaborative project. We have managed to sweet talk some of (laughs) our favorite dyers. Doug from Knittenbro, Tara at Mitchell's Creations, and Nikki from Forest Fiber Arts to dye amazing, beautiful, gorgeous yarn for a solstice calendar box that is intended to be opened throughout the first part of December. We've also teamed up with Jen Peck of Webster Street Knittery, so there is an exciting pattern involved in this project. They're dyeing on yak base for us. We wanted like dark, moody, wintry, yeah, amazing stuff that you just couldn't resist. And the dyers are definitely making it happen for us. We are super excited about what they've sent us so far, and we can't wait. It's limited edition. There's only so much, and it won't happen in this particular iteration again. (laughs) Right. Yeah, check that out. That'll go live on the website on Friday. And then the other big thing we had happen was we did our knit-along cast-on on Friday night. Yes. So if you had a chance to join us, awesome. If you didn't, it's up on Instagram Reels, Instagram video. It's awesome. People are already posting like amazing pictures of their yarn choices and projects that they're casting on. And it's amazing. And we can't wait to see your pictures. So if you are just joining us now, it's fine. You can cast on anytime. Anytime. And this will run through August 31st. And even if you're not done on August 31st, that's fine. You'll use the hashtag make good made along. That's M-A-E-D along like Jesse May. And that's how we will get to see your projects. And at the end of the knit along, we will randomly select one of you to win a $150 gift card to scratch. So make sure that you're tagging and posting all the time so we can see your good stuff. 
I think that might be it for us this week. You can subscribe to our podcast on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. If you have one that we're not on, please let us know. We'll try to figure it out. Follow us on Instagram at makegoodpod and send us letters. You can email us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. We want to hear from you. And just as a reminder, no episode next week. So we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.